you can face anything. Welcome to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., author, pastor, teacher at Shiloh Church in Jacksonville and Orange Park, Florida. In today's text out of Psalm 27, Pastor Charles will show us that you can face anything as long as God is your everything. Today's message, trusting God in every situation. And now, here's Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me, for you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Trusting God in every situation. My favorite short story is written by G.W. Target. It is called The Window. It is about two sick men who shared the same hospital room. One lay in a bed near the wall, the other lay in a bed near the window. Each day, the nurses would come in and lift the man by the window up to drain fluids from his lungs. And as he sat up, 
he would gaze out of the window and describe for his roommate the sights and sounds outside of the window. These conversations brought joy to the man by the wall as his roommate would describe marching bands passing by in parade, describe lovers having picnics in the park, fathers teaching their sons how to fish in the lake. But one day an alien thought came to the mind of the one who lay near the wall. Why does he get to be by the window? And I am stuck next to the wall only to hear these sights, about these sights and sounds on the secondhand basis. In the darkness of the night, the man by the window began to choke. His roommate could have easily called for the nurses to save the day, but he didn't. He just lay there until the coughing and choking ended in silence, deathly silence. When the nurses discovered the man, they removed his body, and when the man by the wall felt it was appropriate, he asked if he could be moved to the bed next to the window. And when he was finally left alone, he propped himself up, eager to take his first look out the window. When he did, he was shocked to find a blank brick wall staring back at him. This is my favorite short story. It reminds me that what you see is more determined by what's in you than what's around you. And in a real sense, this is the message of Psalm 27, this great psalm that is arguably the most beloved song among believers after Psalm 23. The inscription above verse 1 just simply tells us it is of David. David wrote this psalm, but we do not know the specific circumstances that prompted him to compose this psalm. There are details in this psalm that could refer to various seasons in David's life. But we don't know specifically the historical background of the psalm, and yet it does not rob us of the meaning and magnitude of this psalm in any way. Psalm 27 is good news for any and every situation you will find yourself in this year. The message of this psalm is this. You can face anything if God is your everything. Can I say it again? You can face anything if God is your everything. James Hannington was the first bishop of equatorial Africa. In 1885, 
He was seized and arrested because of his faith. He was tormented with persecution. He was eaten alive by vermin, he wrote, threatened by the prospect of death. And in these dark and difficult times, he comforted himself in the Psalms. In fact, on October 28th, the day before his execution, he wrote in his journal, I am quite broken down and brought low, but comforted by Psalm 27. My prayer for you is that in this new year, you will be built up and riding high. But I know that won't be every day. There will inevitably be days when you, like Hannington, are broken down and brought low. And I pray that you'll find comfort as he did in Psalm 27's message. That you can face anything if God is your everything. What does it mean, church, to trust God in every situation? Trusting God in every situation is about a life of steadfast trust and stubborn trust. Let me show you that in the text. First, I want you to see a testimony of steadfast Trust, a testimony of steadfast trust. In his comments on Psalm 27, John Stott wrote that the psalm opens with one of the most sublime Old Testament affirmations of the security of the believer, and so it is. Verses 1 through 6, the first half of the psalm, is a song of confidence in God. We see in these verses that steadfast trust is about confidence in God and communion with God. First, note that steadfast trust lives with confidence in God. Look at verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David here makes a threefold testimony about his confidence in the Lord. First he says, the, the Lord is my light. Darkness represents evil, trouble, and lostness. Beware, you may find yourself this year in the dark, but you don't have to be there by yourself. The Lord is my light. This is the only place in the Old Testament this title is used for the Lord. It refers to his truth and his goodness and his holiness. The Lord is my light. And, and what does it mean for the Lord to be your light? Read the rest of the phrase. It is for him to be 
your salvation. In this context, salvation does not refer to forgiveness of sins. It is rescue from danger. It is divine deliverance. It is when the Lord intervenes to bring you out of whatever threatens, weakens, or corrupts. How much more should we trust that the Lord is our light and salvation in as much as he is the father of Jesus Christ? Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says it this way. He who spared not his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not graciously with him give us all things? The Lord, who is light and salvation, note the end of the verse, is also our stronghold. Oh, the translations render that strength, but the Hebrew is more specific. The Lord is not just a Strength. He's a stronghold. He's a place of refuge. He's a hiding place in the time of trouble. Proverbs 18 verse 10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and are saved. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ is to us. He is light. He is salvation. He is the stronghold of our lives. Therefore, we should ask what David asks, two questions in verse one. Whom shall I fear? Or of whom should I be afraid? If a Christian lives in fear, it is for one of two reasons. First, it, it's, it may be a guilty conscience. Proverbs 28 verse one says, the wicked flees when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. <laughs> yeah, when you, when you messing up, you'll run and ain't nobody chasing you. <laughs> uh, but if it's not a guilty conscience, the only other explanation for fear in the life of, of a Christian is a lack of faith. So many things going on in the world. That's why I wanted to start here this year. So many things going on in the world. But I want to say to you, church, that faith and fear can't coexist. If the Lord is not your light, salvation, and stronghold, there is much to fear. But trust in God will chase your fears away. I thought I'd have a witness there. I'm glad I brought my own just in case. Psalm 23 verse 4 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Verse 1 presents absolute confidence in God. But verses 2 and 3 present abiding confidence in God. Verse, verse 2 says that you can trust God in the midst of sudden attacks. 
When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. David remembers a time when he had to face evildoers. These evildoers are not just bad guys in general. He says they are my adversaries and my foes. He pictures them as wild animals wanting to devour his flesh. But as they attacked, God intervened. And listen to what he says. They, and it's emphatic in the Hebrew, they were trying to devour me, but it was they who stumbled and fell. Lord have mercy. For the record, either one of them could have helped David escape, stumble or fall. But God did both. God knows how to stall your enemy and stop your enemy. It's a total, thorough defeat. But not only can God help you in the midst of sudden attacks, he can help you in the midst of strategic attacks. Verse 3 says, though the enemy encamps against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war shall rise against me, yet I will be confident. Verse 2 is the stealth attack of bloodthirsty predators. But verse 3 is a long siege by a surrounding army. Life is like that, church. Some, some troubles are like wild animals running through your life. But other troubles linger like a cold war. They just won't go away. But, but there is no reason to fear, says David, when you have to face open warfare against a great army. Put your confidence in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13 says, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God so that you may stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this present age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, you can stand. Steadfast trust, verses 1 through 3 tells us, lives with confidence in God. But then verses 4 through 6 says that steadfast trust lives with communion with God. David's confidence in God was the natural overflow of his communion with God. Worsby wrote, the secret to David's public confidence was his private obedience. He took time to fellowship with the Lord and get directions from him. Listen, church, if you're going to be able to face whatever the year brings... You got to be able to say like David in verse four. One thing have I desired and asked of the Lord that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Let me ask you something. 
what's your one thing? What's the consuming passion and driving force and ultimate priority of your life? What, if God told you you could, you could ask just one thing, what would be your one thing? I want to challenge you to be a one thing person. In John chapter 9, verse 25, when the blind man who had received his sight started praising the Lord, they said, don't, don't give him credit. He a sinner. Remember what the blind man said? Whether he be a sinner or not, I don't know nothing about that, but one thing I do know, <laughs> I was blind, but now I can see. And in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, David says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have attained it already, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching for what lies ahead. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And here David says, there's one thing I've asked for the Lord. And it's just one thing I've been seeking after from the Lord. And then he says, this one thing is really three things. First of all, I just want to dwell in the house of the Lord. Y'all not in here with me. True faith is personal, but it ain't private. If you really believe in Jesus, you'll go public with your faith. Hebrews 10.25 says, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. There, there are many, many even today who will neglect the corporate meeting of God's people for worship. Here's their explanation. God understands. Y'all not in here with me. But, 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 but David says what, whatever I'm going through, I'm not going to let it stop me from getting to the house of the Lord. That, that, that's, that's the consuming passion of my life. I want to get to the house of the Lord. And my priority is not just geographic. He says, I want to get to the house of the Lord so that I can hear his word and sing praises and offer prayers so that my attention will be turned from the horizontal to the vertical. And I can gaze on the beauty of the Lord. Y'all not listening here. Sometimes you get discouraged because you're paying attention to the wrong stuff. Well, worship is really just about looking in the right direction and remembering the amazing grace, the unchanging goodness, and the almighty faithfulness of our God. He says, I want to, I want to, I just want to be in God's house so that I can gaze at his beauty and inquire in his temple. When I was a boy, 
The old saints said, don't question God. But David suggests here that questioning God is essential to worship. If you got questions about your life, who better to ask? <laughs> he says, I, I just, I just want to talk to God. Ask him what's going on. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Faith asks questions. Doubt demands answers. He says, I just want to lay my case before the Lord. Here's why, verse 5. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon the rock. The Lord will do three things here for, for you. If you'll just commune with him, he'll hide you in his shelter when trouble comes. He'll conceal you under the cover of his tent when the heat of life is beaming down on you. He'll lift you high on a rock when the flood waters of trouble are rising in your life. This is the protective care, sparing mercy, and rescuing grace of God. This fifth verse is simply trying to say, you ought to mark it down. The Lord will keep you when you can't keep yourself. And so verse 6 says, and now my head shall be lifted above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. I love this. I will. This is future tense. Before the battle is over, David declares himself the victor. My head will be lifted above my enemies. But he does not prevail because of his own wisdom, strength, and resources. The Lord did it. Got a long way to go in a short time to get there. But can I just pause and ask you, do you know how you made it? The Lord did it. Do you know how you, how, you, how you got safe this far? The Lord did it. Do you, do you know how you have overcome what you have overcome? The Lord did it. And look again at verse 6 because David says, since the Lord gave the victory, the Lord should get the glory. You should shout for joy. You should sing praise. You should make melody to the Lord. This has nothing to do with you, your background, your style, your taste, your customs. He says, if you know who lifted you up. I wish I had a praying church. If you know who brought you over, if you know who gave you the victory, you should sing to the Lord. You should shout to the Lord. You should give praise to the Lord. Verses 1 through 6 is a testimony of steadfast trust in God. But verses 7 through 14 is a prayer of stubborn trust in God. Scholars speculate that Psalm 27 may have been two psalms that were 
merge together at some point. This is because at verse 7, the tone and content of the psalm abruptly shifts. In verses 1 through 6, David speaks about the Lord, but in verses 7 through 14, David speaks directly to the Lord. There is affirmation in verses 1 through 6. There is petition in verses 7 through 14. There is confidence in verses 1 through 6. There is lamentation in verses 7 through 14. There is faith in verses 1 through 6. There is fear in verses 7 through 14. But this is no reason to conclude that these are two different authors writing two different psalms in two different situations. It's the same author writing one psalm with two different attitudes. John Stott labels his comments on Psalm 27, the soul's changing moods. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever <laughs> had your soul to change moods from one day to the next? In fact, the soul can change moods from morning to afternoon. This is what we find in this psalm. The first half of the psalm is a testimony of confident trust in God, but the second is a prayer that reflects stubborn trust. Well, what do you do when you are weak and fearful and hurting? He says, do on the bad days what you were doing on the good day. Just keep trusting in the Lord. Stubborn faith Praise when things get bad and praise that things will get better. First of all, uh, you got to learn how to pray when things get bad. Verse 7 says, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. This is an urgent call for help. This is no longer sanctuary worship. This is warfare prayer. David cries aloud, pleading with the Lord to hear and answer him. He knows he does not deserve what he asks, but he pleads with the Lord on the basis of God's grace, not his goodness. He seeks God's ear in verse 7, but then he seeks God's face. In verse 8, you've said, seek my face, and my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. The verse begins with a divine invitation. Listen, church, God wants you to seek his face. God wants you to know him intimately. God wants to be the consuming passion, ultimate priority, and dominating presence of your life. The Lord wants what is best for you, and the Lord knows 
He is what's best for you. So he commands you to seek him above everything else. How should you respond to this divine invitation? Faith says, look at the verse, your face, Lord, do I seek. Verse 9, he humbly pleads, hide not your face from me, turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not, forsake me not, O God of my salvation. David doesn't pray like this in verse 9 because he's fearful the Lord would do anything, anything of these things like hide his face or turn away or cast him off or forsake him. He's praying this way to express that the Lord was his only source of help. He says, Lord, you're the one that helped me in the past. And you don't, let me try another. You're the one that helped me in 2017. And you're the only one that can help me in 2018. You're the God who saves. The reason I know he was not really worried that the Lord would forsake him is because of verse 10. For my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Parents abandon, deny, reject, neglect, abuse their children, but this was so foreign to David's mind that he uses parents as a standard of divine faithfulness. The assumption is that a mother or father would never neglect their children. In fact, scholars believe that David writes this verse reflecting on the death of his parents. And if that's true, it only makes the point more emphatic. A parent may never forsake you in this life, but they will inevitably forsake you in death. This is why you should never put your trust in people who are sinful, finite, and temporal like you. Life is filled with swift transition, unwanted change, and great disappointments. But listen to David say, when all else forsakes me, the Lord will take me in. This is the paternal love and maternal care the Lord has for his children. Isaiah 49 verses 15 and 16 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? These may forget, yet I will never forget you. God will take you in. God will take you up. God will take you through. And so stubborn trust learns how to keep praying when things go bad, but then it, it prays for things to get better. I'm going to summarize the rest of this, but let me just say that to you. I don't know what you're going through, but if you trust in the Lord, it's got to get better. It's got to get better. David believed it would get better. Listen to what he says in verse 11. Really, this is the verse of the psalm that, that hits me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my enemies. David said, Lord, 
I need you to teach me how to act. Anybody with me? This is the heart of a true worshiper. It's not just a heart that desires to see God's face. It's a heart that desires to learn God's way. The Lord is the master teacher, but this master teacher can't teach the unteachable. You must be willing to learn his way. Not only did David ask the Lord to teach him how to act, he also said, Lord, teach me how to react. I need you to lead me down a level path. The, the way you lead me, Lord, it doesn't have to be easy, but I need it to be right and clear and straight because I got enemies. This word enemy in verse 11 in the Hebrew literally means watchers. This is not passive observation, it's active surveillance. David says, I got people that are watching and waiting for me to trip, stumble, and fall. Good God Almighty. This is why he says in verse 12, don't give me up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. David's enemies were making up stories to bring him down. But David says, Lord, I need you to lead me and teach me so that the stories they make up don't become true. You better note that 11th verse because it's a good prayer. In, 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 behind the poetry, here's what David is saying. David is saying, Lord, I got enemies, but, but more than my enemies, I need you, Lord, to protect me from me. I believe, verse 13, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. This is an interesting verse. In the Hebrew text, if I may be technical for a moment, in the Hebrew text, the verse begins with a negative statement that's not complete. It's as if David pondered the consequences of not trusting in God and the thought was so dire he couldn't finish the thought. Some older translations fill in the blank, like the New King James says, I would have lost heart. If I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We're not clear about what, what this thought was that David couldn't get out. But the point he makes is unmistakable. He says, what, what sustained me? This is what will sustain you this year. Listen. Is that I believe. I will see the goodness of the Lord. Wait, wait, wait. This is not positive confession. This is sound theology. 
beyond my circumstances, he says, what, whatever way the, the, the situation turn out, I'm coming out of this with a testimony about how good God is. <laughs> David is a man on trial for his life. The prosecutor is out to get him. The facts have been misrepresented. The jury will render the wrong verdict. But David says, I trust that the judge will treat me right. I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord. When, when, when? In the land of the living. Not the land of the ever living. In the land of the living. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19 says, that if we have hope in Christ in this life alone, we are all men most to be pitied. But you also pitiful if you don't have hope in Christ in this life. David is saying that the God of the by and by is also the God of the here and now. And you got to learn how to trust that no matter how bad things look, it's got to get better. I believe I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You say, well, HB, I got to start the year and I don't see it yet. But verse 14 says what you ought to do in the meantime. Wait on the Lord. Did you hear me? Wait on the Lord. Don't, don't take matters into your own hand. Don't run ahead of the Lord. Don't try to do God's will your way. Wait on the Lord. Warren Worsby said to do the right thing at the wrong time is to disobey the will of God. You got to learn how to wait on him. Not only wait on him, but be strong. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. If you keep a score, this is the third reference to the heart in this psalm. In verse 3, there's a trusting heart that's not afraid of a surrounding army. In verse 8, there's the seeking heart that puts the Lord ahead of everything. And now, in verse 14, there's the waiting heart that takes courage in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. And because the Lord knows how impatient we are, he said, let me tell you one more time. Wait on the Lord. 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 
J.C. Penny. That J.C. Penny. Built a successful company, was a great philanthropist, enjoyed a successful life until 1929 when the stock market crashed. He would have professed to be a believer, being brought up in church, but losing things exposed him. He became physically sick. His physical sickness was rooted in his emotional stress. Penny had a nervous breakdown. They admitted him into a hospital, not for physical ailments, ailments but his mental and emotional ones. He lay there in the, on the verge of suicide. One night he was so confident that he would not make it till the morning that he began writing his family goodbye notes. He fell asleep, woke up, still in the world. Decided that morning to get out of bed and walk the halls a little bit for some exercise, and as he was walking the hall, he heard singing. The song wasn't familiar, but it connected. He went into the chapel to find a small group of believers in there singing. And he said it was that night that he marked as his night of conversion. That night where God softened his heart and he trusted Jesus Christ truly for himself. I got to quit. The song they were singing in the chapel that night, be not dismayed. Whatever be tied, God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide. God will take care of you. Have I got a witness here? My verse in that song says, whatever may be your test, God will take care of you. Lean, weary one, upon his breast, because God will take care of you. Thanks for listening to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. If you would like more resources from Pastor Charles or to support this ministry, he can be reached online at www.hbcharlesjr.com. That's hbcharlesjr.com. Join us again for Cutting It Straight and God bless.